for the past six weeks, I have been preaching a series called Ghost Stories. And we went in depth into a lot of very intimate subjects. And we talked about things that have affected your life deeply. Many of which you have just learned to live with to the extent that you never really paid attention to it anymore or considered it a hindrance or a wound or a hurt. You just considered it life. And we dealt with those things for six weeks, and God has healed people and touched people and re- revealed things to people. It's been, a, it's been a, such an eye-opening experience. But while I was doing the sermon material, I realized, especially because we had two sermons in those six weeks that was on Joseph. One of the sermons... Uh, I had so much information, I had to split it, and I knew I had to preach it. So what I've come this morning, even though we didn't advertise it as such, and and it's not actually part of that six weeks, and we didn't have the stage decorated, and we didn't go through the whole fanfare, but this is like a bonus episode of Ghost Stories. That This is material, amen? This is material that very easily could have and probably should have been incorporated into that sermon series because we're going to talk about family curses we're going to look at the life of Joseph. We're going to look at the end of Joseph's story. We, we've talked about the pit. We've talked about the prison and the palace. And this morning we're going to look at the end of it. And we're going to dig into some, again, very personal, very private issues that many of you just consider, well, that's just the way us Mitchums are. And uh, you, you really have never thought about how things affect you that you went through Many, many years ago. I've discovered the longer that I'm around people, and especially the longer I pastor people, that when we're kids, we brag about things that we brag about the opposite of when we get older. Let me give you an example. When you're in middle school and high school, well, not you, heathens. When you're in middle school and high school, you brag about things that are breaking the rules. You brag about getting in a fight, or you brag about using drugs, or you brag about staying up late, or you brag about sneaking out of the house. Those are the things that you brag about when you're a child because that's what gives you street cred. That's what gives you clout. You don't brag about eating your vegetables and going to bed at 8 o'clock. When you're a kid, you brag about being ornery. Then when you get older, and especially when you come to church, you brag about how perfect you are. You brag about how you don't have any issues and no problems and nothing you ever do is wrong because Jesus is my Savior. Yes, sir. And what I've discovered is we, we, we have this tendency to want to look good in front of our peers. So when we're young, we try to look good by being debaucherous. When we're old, we try to look good by being perfect. Neither one of them are true and neither one of them are helpful. So I'm going to look this morning at the life of Joseph and um, I'm going to dig right into the message. Um, if you're one of these people that carry on in your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to open to Genesis chapter 42. And I'm going to dig right into this message because just like in the words of that prophet Jerry Reed, i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And I can't wait to see who's going to receive this blessing this morning. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, is it going to be you or is it going to be me? Hmm? I'm going to talk about what you're made of. What you're made of. Now, on a biological level, it's called DNA. Okay? That's why you need to be uh, careful who you marry. Because you're going to swap your DNA with theirs, and you're going to create a seed that's going to bring forth life. You'll mix your seed with theirs. Amen? Now, I know... Some of you got mad and cut all your exes out of your old photos. And you think that got them out of the house, but you can't get their DNA out of them kids. And every once in a while, they're going to rise up, and you're going to walk in that kid's bedroom and say, you act just like your daddy. Uh, So so you got to be careful about mixing your DNA. But, but but, but, But what if I was to tell you that everything you got from your family can't show up under a microscope, or in your blood work. There's some things that you got from your family that are deeper than DNA. We haven't talked much about Joseph's family. We've talked primarily about his brothers, 
But we have not really talked about his whole family. And it's interesting when you study Joseph's family. His father was named Jacob. Now, my wife, a few weeks ago when I was preaching this message, she said, I do not know how you kept Jacob and Joseph because you said both their names about 150 times. I, I would have got tongue-tied and mixed up. But Jacob was Joseph's father. And Jacob, in this story, is at the end of his life. He's about to die. Now, he dies a godly man, but he wasn't always one. Early in his life, Jacob was a con artist. He, he, he was a rabble-rouser. He was a thief. He did, some, he did some, some tricking of some people. He lied, and he was deceptive. But when you read the story, you find out that didn't start with Jacob. Jacob's mother, Rebekah, was also a liar and a deceiver. Jacob's uncle, Laban, he, he was a liar, and, and, and he did dirty deals, and, and was a con man. Do you see a pattern developing? Do, do you see that, that from one generation to the next, it seems like things just keep getting a little bit worse until it runs into somebody in one generation that refuses to allow it to go down the line and touch the next generation. Now, Joseph is the hero of this story. And we've been talking a lot about him. And he is a what we called uh, in third grade a goody two-shoes. But to be honest with you, he is such a good example of how to endure hardship. You know, his brothers betrayed him. They sold him into slavery. Uh, they lied to their daddy and told him that, uh, do you see the pattern? I mean, it's, Laco, it's Laban, it's Rebecca, it's Jacob. Now it's down to these boys. You know, so, so, so Jacob has passed this deceptive, lying spirit down to his sons. They have sold Joseph into slavery, lied to their daddy, and when you look at Joseph, you say, man, he was faithful. He always did the right thing. Because he's such a goody two-shoes, you don't associate Joseph with any of the qualities that his brothers have. Because the brothers seem to be the villain of the story, and Joseph seems to be the hero. But when you get to chapter 42, Joseph shows us something in his life too. In Genesis 42... His brothers have come down to Egypt to buy food because they're about to starve to death. If they don't get some supplies, Jacob and all of his sons are going to starve to death and Joseph has become the head man in charge. He has all the power and he has all the food. When the brothers came and knelt in front of Joseph, Joseph recognized them. But they did not know that Joseph was who he was. I want to paint this picture for you because I know all of you don't know this story. Now, the Bible says that Joseph pulled a fast one on these boys. He's not as perfect as you might assume him to be. He had money hidden in their stuff. He set them up. See, they set Joseph up. They had Joseph sold into slavery. And now Joseph takes these same brothers... And I know in the end, he becomes the hero again. But in this chapter, Joseph does some sneaky stuff of his own. The Bible says that he hid some stuff in their carry-on luggage before they got on the plane. That way, when they went through TSA and they got patted down, they would get randomly selected. This is my story, and i got the microphone. I'll tell it any way I want to. They're going to get randomly selected. And they're going to find the evidence in their luggage. Not only that, but Joseph set them up like this. He made Simeon stay in jail. The brother Simeon, he, he, he made them leave him behind and said, if you don't bring Benjamin back so I can see him, we're going to keep him in jail forever. Joseph's not as perfect as we would assume him to be because hear me, you're all going to fight some stuff that was passed down to you. There are going to be some tendencies that you don't wish to associate with, but they're going to be in your spirit, and you don't want them, and you wish it was different, 
And you wish that once you prayed the prayer that Jesus just took all these urges out of you. But you're going to fight some stuff until Jesus comes to take you home. Will somebody say amen? Some of the bad things that these brothers did to Joseph, Joseph is doing now to them. It's almost like he learned tricks. It's almost like he learned how to lie. I use a phrase all the time. Hurt people hurt people. And you don't want to all the time. You don't, you don't want to extract vengeance. But let me show you what happens here. Once they get home to their daddy Jacob. Genesis 42 beginning with verse 35. As they emptied out their sacks. Remember he had, these, uh, he had this gold hid in their sacks. There in each man's sack was a bag of money that they had paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. Jo right here, this, this, is, this might be the key phrase in the whole sermon. If you miss this, you'll miss the whole day. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. Uh, and now you want to take Benjamin to everything is going against me. Have you ever got to that place in life where just you got one bad piece of news too many? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where like you were already so close to the edge and you got one bad piece of news that sent you into depression. And the people that told you the news can't understand why, you, why it affected you so much. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like when they told you what they told you and it sent you over the edge, they can't understand why it affected you the way it affected you. But they don't understand that it wasn't that piece of news. It was, that was just the piece of news that broke the camel's back. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody relate to that? Like, like they can't understand. Why in the world did you go off like that? That wasn't that big of a deal, but they don't understand the big deal wasn't that thing. It was all the other things that all totaled this thing. And now you're on the verge of a mental breakdown, and they can't understand why you are the way you are. But here's the thing that you and I know that Jacob didn't know. What he believes isn't true. Simeon wasn't gone. That's Joseph holding him captive. That's his brother. Simeon's not gone. Neither is Joseph. Joseph is still alive. He's losing it over something he thinks is true, but really is a lie. Verse 37, Reuben said to his father, you may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him, and I promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead. And he is all that I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. What we see here in the life of Joseph is this. Just because God's doing great things in your life right now doesn't mean that you're never going to have to fight with your past. There are habits, thought patterns, attitudes, opinions biases and prejudices that were given to you just because of the family you were born into. We all have generational curses to fight. Make no mistake about it, I'm glad you were born into a family of believers and they raised you well and nobody ever abused you or hurt you. But make no mistake about it, there is some stuff that was passed down to you that makes you who you are even though when you was about 15, you looked up and said, I ain't never going to do what my... Anybody remember that conversation with yourself that you used to have? Mama would fuss at you for something. You'd say, well, I ain't never going to make my kids do that. Mm -hmm. Keep talking. Because when you first have that kid, and, and then they get about 12 years old, and they're back sassing from the other room, and you hear your mother's voice coming out of your mouth. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You say, I won't never treat my kids like that. I won't never make my kids do that. I won't never, I won't never, I won't never. Uh-huh. You learned some things that you did not mean to learn. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, now let, me just, let me just testify because y'all are so holy. So perfect. Let me just testify. Most people, when you take chicken out of the refrigerator, you take the aluminum foil off and throw it in the trash. But because I was raised poor, 
Every single time I take the aluminum foil off, I still remember rinsing that stuff off and refolding it. Y'all not going to help me because y'all was so bougie. Yeah, yeah, y'all don't know this about me, but sometimes when, when, when I get ready to throw a Ziploc baggie in the trash, I'm thinking, I can rinse this out because it just had bread in it. Because when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, you didn't just take the aluminum pie pans that everybody just throws in the garbage. Oh, no, no. That was fine dining at the Mitchum house. That was our best china. We ate out of them tin pans until the forks had made holes in them and what you was eating would leak out the bottom, and then you just doubled it up. When I got married, my wife went to the grocery store for the first time and bought styrofoam plates. I said, have you lost your mind? you got to buy them over and over and over and over again. If you're going to buy something you throw away, you buy paper. You buy the paper plates. So styrofoam, I thought you'd wash them and put... My wife was not raised the same way I was. And she did not agree with um, washing styrofoam plates and plastic forks. She said, listen here, dummy. <laughs> this stuff goes in the garbage. <laughs> you don't want, that's why you buy this. I said, yeah, but you got to keep spending money on it. See, there were things passed down to me that I did not sign up for. Somebody say amen. I don't have to live that way anymore. But there are still things in my mind. I, I, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. I, I, I don't have to try to save that kind of money anymore, thank God. I don't live that way anymore. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I still remember folding up used aluminum foil and sticking it in the drawer. Because I was exposed to things, and I can still remember what I was exposed to. It was given to me through my family. And eventually, I have to deal with it. And you do too. I know you're blessed and highly favored. I know you love coming to church and worshiping Jesus. But you're late for every single appointment you ever show up for. Oh, y'all going to all resign? My whole amen committee just resigned on that one point. We ain't even got tough yet. If I ain't got you yet, hold on. Right, these size 15s going to come stomp all over all your toes in a minute. Oh, I know you walk in big anointing, but when's the last time you balanced your checkbook? You got checks bouncing all over town and owe money to everybody? Got unpaid bills everywhere, but you want to preach Jesus. I know you got a powerful prayer life, but you never finished anything that you started. Quit every job you ever had. You're blessed and highly favored in the Lord's sight, but you suffer from low self-esteem, pessimistic about everything, never think the best is ever coming your way. I know you memorized a bunch of Scripture, but nobody wants to work with you because there's no pleasing you. You're cantankerous, or you're the other way around. Nobody wants to do anything with you because you're totally unreliable. And I know some of us would love to say that that's just who I am, but you don't realize a lot of that has to do with what you were given. The example that was set for you. Nobody ever showed you to work hard. Nobody ever showed you to show up. Nobody ever taught you that time is an important investment that you make into other people. That when you make other folks wait on you, it's rude. You don't make you, they, nobody ever taught you that. It's just, well, I'll get there when I get there. But that's rude to the other people because you're telling them what I have going on is more important than you. Nobody ever taught you that because of the house you were born into. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Is this landing with anyone? So no matter how much God blesses you, you're going to have family demons that you're going to have to fight. Does anybody got a demon to fight? Does anybody have a devil to fight in this room? Now, now I know some of y'all came to church to worship the Lord, and I'm happy for you, and I'm glad you come to Promise of Victory. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here every Sunday, and I'm glad you come to worship the Lord. But can I tell you that I didn't always come to church to worship the Lord. I didn't always come to worship and praise the Lord because the truth is I can worship and praise the Lord at my house. What I came to the church house for was because I came here because I had a devil to fight. And, and, and I had to fight the devil so hard and I didn't know how, so I would come to the hospital to get my medication. Y'all not going to help me. 
Because it's hard to tell what might happen to me. It's hard to tell what I might turn into. I might have a relapse and turn into somebody that you don't even recognize if I don't get to the house of God and get a word infused to me. So I didn't just come looking for praise. I come to get a word. I'm looking for treatment for what is making me sick. Because a lot of things I have, I don't know how I caught. A lot of the stuff I'm sick with, I don't know where I caught it from. And I'm going to tell you, after years and years of praying and researching and reading books and getting in the Word, I've discovered a lot of what I'm sick with, I caught from home. <laughs> you can't quarantine from that. You, 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 because you quarantined with the very thing that's making you You're locked up with the family that cursed you. Life is a series of gains and losses. There is simply no way for you to live on this earth without experience loss. And some of the main issues that prevents us from living a full life and the life that Jesus wants us to live is unfinished business from the past. And as much as you want to live in the present... You carry the past with you. And the past influences you worse than you would like to admit. Go over and read Matthew chapter 10. Jesus tells his disciples, if you go into a town and preach the gospel to them, and they reject you, he said, don't beg them. Don't chase them down. Don't, don't just say it over and over. Don't bring your big 15-pound Bible and back them in the head. He said, if you go into a town and you preach the good news and they reject you, leave. But don't just leave. Don't just leave. Don't just leave. When you leave, shake the dust off your feet as you go. And this is an important lesson for somebody in this room today because you've got to shake the dust off of where you've been before you're ever equipped to go where you're heading. Because you'll never appreciate a new experience if you drag old feelings with us. Do you see now why this is a bonus episode of Ghost Story? Because you're still being haunted by where you've been because you never took the time to shake it off, and old dust spoils new opportunity. Old experiences poisons new dimensions. Our minds get fixed on what happened. So we cannot realize that we're blessed right now. And if you never learn to shake the dust off... You're going to live in regret and remorse, and they will haunt you forever. We get stuck in our adult lives. Listen, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I know you feel very vulnerable and exposed right now. Hold on, it's going to get worse. Because we get stuck in our adult life with this question. What could I have done different? What if I would have just done this? My kids would have been like this. What if I would have just done this? My marriage wouldn't have ended. What if I would have just done this? I would have been promoted. What if I would have just went back to school? I would have. What could I have done different? And the devil is great at making you blame everything on you when you don't realize that we didn't all start from the same place. All of us were not granted the same start in life because some of you were raised by parents that taught you to save and invest and pay cash for things. Uh, some of you were raised by, by parents that had insurance and took you to doctors. Some of you were raised by parents that paid the bills. And then there's some of us that when the bills got too much, we got a new address. Oh, y'all not going to help me. I told you you're going to feel very vulnerable. I'm, I'm sorry, but this sometimes we have to expose in order to heal. Some of us didn't go to the doctor when we got sick because there wasn't no insurance. So it's a foreign entity, especially when you get married and you have kids of your own, and the person you married is opposite of the one that you are. And one of you thinks that the sniffles means the kid goes to the doctor. 
And you're standing here going, just give him a shot of liquor. That's what mom did for me. Rub some McCurchrome on it. Heals everything. Spoonful of castor oil heals leukemia. Because some of us didn't go to doctors and some of us didn't have new cars and, and talk about retirement and paying cash for everything. Everything was paid for cash because there wasn't no cash to be had. And we grew things that we ate and we killed things that we ate. And all of us were not, all of us didn't start the same way. And so we all get together and we try to have friendships and relationships and we don't realize that we're carrying the dust from where we've been into where we are. And it contaminates your present. And it wasn't all decisions you made. It was things you were taught because of the house you were born into. But Jesus said, listen, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off and move on. So I came here this morning to tell somebody, it's time for you to move on. On. Hear me by the Spirit of the Lord this morning. Some of you need freedom, and the reason you haven't received it yet is because you have not yet moved on. Let me tell you what else Jesus told them disciples. He said, when you go into these cities, bring your peace with you. But if they won't receive you, you take your peace and you take it with you when you exit the city. And too much, too many of you are sitting here this morning without your peace because you left your peace in that last marriage. You left your peace at the last job. You left your peace at the last church. You left your peace where you were last. But Jesus said, you've got to take your peace with you when you come out. Shake the dust off because I got something new new for you. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not realize how bad this tormented me and affected me until my kids were almost grown. And I realized I was Rife Mitchum, and I don't know how I got that way because I hated that man. But a lot of what Rife and Gene Mitchum taught me, I was teaching my children, and I didn't like it when they taught it to me. But see, you learn things you don't intend to learn. Because of the curses of your family. When you look at the mess that Joseph's family was, it's easy to get depressed over it. It's easy to be uh, condemning of it. But y'all didn't start where I started. Some of y'all didn't start in the same jacked up, messed up family that I started in. When I read about Joseph's family, I get inspired. Because if Joseph can take them liars and make something out of them, Mitchums know how to lie. <laughs> Woo, boy! And Mitchums know how to deceive and be con men and manipulate and get their way and move around. And if God can do something with that bunch of liars, then there ain't no reason why the Mitchums can't break the family curses that we've been living under either. Why are you showing us this, Pastor? Because I want you to see that a dysfunctional family does not have to be the ruination of you. And it certainly doesn't have to be the, the, the abortion of your purpose. He used Jonah. And Jonah ran away from his calling and backslid for a season. He, he, how, about, how about he used somebody named Rahab who was a prostitute? God hid his men in a brothel. He didn't send them down to the synagogue. He didn't send them to the pastor's parsonage. God hid a couple of spies in, in a prostitute's house. And they stayed there all night. Can you see the headlines the next morning? Local pastor spends night in brothel. <laughs> but if God can use Rahab... If God can use Jonah, if God can turn around Joseph's family and Jacob, what in the world makes you think he can't use you? If you surrender yourself and make yourself available, there is nothing about your yesterday that the devil can use to stop your tomorrow. Can somebody say amen? Do you know why? Because there is nothing that overrides God's eternal purposes. Not even your problems, not your pain, not your situation. 
Do you think it's God's plan uh, t- for you to be uh, prosperous and for you to be saved? Somebody say amen. Because it's His intention for everybody to be saved. Well, do you think God's plan is going to be aborted by your hard-headedness? You ain't that powerful. Do you think God's plan can be aborted by what comes against you? Have you forgot that God has ordained even the small things and whatever he says about you is going to come to pass? I know some of you had a baby out of wedlock, but God can still use you. You hear me this morning. I know you regret that relationship you got into, and you should, but God can still use you. I know you've made some horrific mistakes in judgment, but God can still use you. I know you've been to prison, but God can still use you. I know you've been divorced but God can still use you I know you've been an addict but God can still use you I know you've been perverted but God can still use you now folk are going to forever talk about you because that's what they do but God will let your past be your past and move you into a beautiful future so what we need to learn from Joseph about living in a dysfunctional family environment is this With God, all things are possible. Joseph cries a few times in this story. I pointed one out a few weeks ago. He didn't cry when he threw him in a pit. He didn't cry when he went to prison for something he didn't do. But he cried when his brothers knelt in front of him and he realized his dream had come true. That shows me that Joseph felt his emotions but he wasn't controlled by them and that's where you have to get to and that's where I have to get to where you notice your emotions you feel them but they do not control you see being controlled by your emotions will always limit your future to the level of your feelings When you're controlled by your emotions, your your future is controlled by how you feel. So you only do right when you feel like doing right. You treat your husband well when he treats you well. You treat your wife the way Christ loves the church when she's doing everything the way you want it done. You treat your pastor well when the pastor preaches what you want to hear. You, you, you go to work and you're, you're lovely to everybody at work because everybody at work has been lovely to you. But if you're controlled by your emotions, you're doing like this constantly and everybody walks on eggshells around you because they never know whether you're going to be Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. So we have to feel our emotions but not be controlled by them. Back to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 50. The Bible says this. During this time... Before the first year of the famine, two sons, how many? Two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. Say Manasseh. He named his older son. He's the first one. Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles. And everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. Say Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Okay. I'm about to make some people mad at the preacher. For all you control freaks... Who say, I can't forgive them for what they did. I'll never let go of what they did to me. Manasseh means God has caused me to forget all my troubles and everywhere or everyone in my father's family. Here's what Joseph is saying. There is a place in God where you can get so blessed you don't have no room to hate nobody. That's what he said. 
God can bless you so good that you don't have room to be angry at anybody. Because God has been so good to you when you didn't deserve it, you don't have any room to... Listen, let me help you. Because some of you don't buy this. What are you angry about after all that God has blessed you with? Exactly what is it that you carry into the church house every Sunday? Lift your hands and praise a holy God about His goodness about. And God has delivered you and you still want to hold a grudge? God has healed you and you still want to be angry at somebody? God has blessed you and your children and your children's children and you still want to be holding anger and resentment against somebody else? Shame on you. God's been too good to you. Look at all the things you did against Him and He don't hold a grudge against you. And you want to hold out feelings for somebody else? You keep talking about what happened, what happened, what happened. Pastor, you don't know what happened. You just don't understand what happened. You don't know what happened. You ought to give birth to a Manasseh spirit here this morning and tell the devil, God has made me forget all of my troubles and the family issues that I carried around. I don't have the energy. Hear me, I'm 48 years old. I don't have the energy to be mad at folk. You ever run into somebody at Walmart? That did you dirty, and they think you still mad? Oh, that's just me and Pastor Jean. Like you ever run into somebody? Maybe it's a family member, and and they did you wrong, and they think you're still mad. So they they act in all kinds of funny, and you want to look at them and say, "Do you know how many people have hurt me since you left?" If for no other reason I don't have the space in my mental capacity to still hold on to what you did, I've had to make room for the new hurts I've I've went through since you left. I ain't carrying you around with me. I ain't went to bed thinking about you. I I have let that thing go. I haven't thought two seconds about it. I've preached in churches that needed to birth a Manasseh spirit and let it go. This side's mad at that side. This generation mad at that generation. People don't like the songs. They don't like the preacher. They don't like this. And I've preached in those churches. And every marriage needs a Manasseh spirit. The Lord has been goo good to me for me (laughs) to be holding a grudge. And then Joseph's wife got pregnant again. She has a second son, and she named him Ephraim. And Ephraim means God has caused me to prosper in the land of my affliction. Let Let me tie this together before you put a bow on it. If you can let it go and forget what was done, God will prosper you no matter what hell holds against you. That's what these two sons mean. That is, if you are willing to let it go, offer forgiveness, offer, be, 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 have a benediction, have a funeral service for what they did, but let it go. If you're willing to do that, hell has never designed an, an enemy or a weapon that will keep God from prospering you. Because when you leave Manasseh and end up in Ephraim, you find out, I am so blessed. I don't even have time to look back at that mess that I left behind. Because look at what I got over here. You can get so blessed that no matter what you go through, you can say, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm good. With a smile on your face and you're not lying to nobody, I'm good. Because God is good. As a matter of fact, won't you look at about three people and tell them, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good right now. I'm good. I'm good right now. I'm good right where I am. I don't need another promotion. I'm good right where I am. Somebody say amen. I don't have to change jobs. I don't have to change marriages. I'm good. I, I, I don't have to change churches. I, I, I'm good. I, I, even in the land of affliction, I am good. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this church. It's about to take over for somebody. I, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I'm talking to somebody in this church this morning. See, see, some of y'all just need to get angry enough. See, you've been angry at your ex. You've been angry at the boss that you, where you used to work. You've been angry at mom and daddy long enough, but you need to get angry about what you have allowed to hold you back and just stomp your foot and say, I'm good, I'm blessed. God has been too good to me for me to still be hung up on what I have been through. The location didn't matter about Joseph. He found favor in a pit. He found favor in a prison. He found favor everywhere he went because location doesn't matter about your favor. God will find a way to get it to you as long as you don't hold a grudge about what happened to you. So let me help you and then I'll get out of your way. Jacob... And all of Joseph's brothers are living in Egypt, and Jacob is about to die. 
Jacob's about to die. And before Jews let their fathers die, fathers would bless their children. It was called the, 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 the father's blessing. Now, we don't know nothing about that today because us kids just do whatever we want. Can't nobody tell us nothing. Listen here, old head. You can't tell me nothing. I speak from that which I know. Mm. We don't wait on the Father's blessing to do anything anymore. We just do whatever we want to do because we think we've outlived them, outsmarted them. But Jews understood the power and the anointing of the Father's blessing over their life. So when they realized that their dad would get sick, they would bring the, the sons in and the father would speak a blessing over them. And, and, and by the way, your heavenly father ain't about to kick the bucket, but he still speaks blessings over you too. So just, just as a side note, he, he ain't going nowhere, but he does speak blessing over your life. And, and the Bible says that he called his sons to him and because there was power in, in the anointing of the Father's blessing. And Joseph has two sons, right? Ephraim and Manasseh, right? And he brings his born, his firstborn son, and he says, Come on now, Manasseh, I'm going to take you to Grandpa because the blessing that's been on our family, I want it passed on to you. So he brought Manasseh to the right hand of Jacob because the right hand receives a double portion. The, the right hand is the, the hand of power. The right hand is the power, is the, is the hand of blessing. So he brings the oldest son who had earned the blessing. And he stands it at Jacob's right hand. And Jacob, to pronounce his blessing, reaches his hands out to Ephraim and Manasseh. But instead of doing what he was supposed to do, He crossed his hands and he gave it to the least likely. He gave it to the one that didn't earn it and didn't deserve it. The father had a blessing that didn't make sense to nobody in the room. Joseph would have lost his mind. You did it wrong, Dad. The Bible says Jacob was blind. He couldn't even see at this point, but he knew exactly what he was doing because he gave the blessing to the one that didn't feel like they earned it or deserved it. See, some of you are in this room knowing that you are the least likely for the Father to show you favor, but I came here to tell somebody that he's got a blessing that he's going to cross his hands for and give you something that don't make no sense and you didn't deserve it and you you sure didn't earn it, but the blessing is on the way, and hell can't keep it from you, and the enemy knows you didn't deserve it, but God's about to cross his hands and bless you and make you highly favored in his house. And I got to thinking about something. Do, 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 do that. When I was lost and undone and deserved hell on a hill far away stood an old yeah. <laughs> when I didn't deserve it God crossed his hand when I didn't earn it, heaven crossed their hands. When I was lost and undone and deserved the fiery pits of hell, God found me. He crossed his hands and didn't give me what I deserved. He gave me a blessing that was, res that was reserved for me. And I didn't do a thing in order for him to do it and love me, but he had and there is power when he sends the cross to rescue you. It doesn't matter what you've done to turn your life the wrong direction. God will turn it around. And he does it for the one that doesn't expect it. I 
I walk around all the time wondering how many people know that they're on the verge of a supernatural release of blessing. Because you don't feel like it. You know you didn't deserve it. And you don't see that heaven. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did this past weekend. And you don't know that heaven. Because if you thought like you deserved it, God's not interested in giving it to you. There's seasons in your life where you thought that you would not make it. But God crossed his hands. Some of y'all grew up in neighborhoods and they said that you'd never amount to nothing, but God has crossed his hands. All you got to do is look back over your life and realize some of you was in rehab and thought, and some people thought you might die there, but God crossed his hands. Some of you was in prison and you probably shouldn't be out today, but God crossed his hands. Some of you went through a nasty divorce and you thought it would be the end of you, but heaven crossed their hands. Some of you lost your job and didn't know how you would survive and now you got a better job than you ever had before because God crossed his hands and showed you favor. Somebody had cancer in this room and you weren't sure you would come out of it but God crossed his hands and healed you and multiplied favor in your direction. Somebody fought the devil's curse for their family and God is crossing his hands this morning and saying you may not have came from much but because I see you I'll give you favor you doesn't deserve. And I'm going to get out of your way with this. I know I preached too long. Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is, a, a, J- Jacob is blessing Joseph at this point. He blessed his sons as the grandfather. And now he's going to bless Joseph. And here's what he says. In Genesis 49 and 22. Joseph, you are a fruitful vine. Not exactly what you want to hear your daddy tell you. You want to hear him say, you the man. He said, you are a fruitful vine. Which is better um, than being a foal of a wild donkey. One of the wild donkeys on, on the ridge. He told Joseph... That you are a, he goes on to say, you're a wild, fruitful vine that climbs over the wall. You're a wild, fruitful vine that climbs over the wall. There's a couple things I want to show you about that. Number one, Joseph had been sold into slavery. He'd been arrested and convicted on something he did not do. Nowhere in Joseph's life had he been treated fairly. But his daddy, at the end of his life, refused to call him a victim. Instead, he called him a vine. Some of us have never gotten ahead Because we consider ourselves a victim. And it's easy for you to think of yourself a victim when you're standing in front of a wall. But what turned Joseph into a vine was the fact that he climbed over it. So when there's a wall in your way, are you going to be defined by what stood in front of you? Or how you got over it. See, people don't put up walls unless they're either trying to keep stuff in or keep somebody out. And the fact that there's been walls in Joseph's life his entire life tells me that the devil was scared to death of what Joseph was going to find on the other side of that wall if he ever climbed over it. And I just wonder in this sanctuary this morning, 
what the devil's afraid that you might find if you ever climb over that wall. See, you've been walking around your whole life thinking that yourself is cursed, thinking of yourself as held back, thinking of yourself as less than, and you feel like you are a victim, and the walls are in your way. Well, I, we didn't come for money, and I didn't get a college degree, and my daddy left me when I was seven years old, and this and that, and all these reasons for you to be a victim. Well, they tell me that I've got this disorder, and they tell me that I'll never be able to do this, and I can't learn like everybody else, and I don't know the scriptures, and I don't know how to pray, and there's all these reasons why you can be a victim, and there's walls in front of you, and the only reason the walls exist is because the devil's scared to death of what you're going to find if you ever get to gumption and climb over top of that, because there's blessing on the other side, and there's favor on the other side, and the Bible says that Joseph refused to let the wall keep him bound because he climbed over the wall. And you know what else I notice about this blessing? Jacob never described the wall. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what the wall's made out of. It matters what the vine's made out of. It's irrelevant where you came from. It's irrelevant the house you were raised in. It's irrelevant the abuse you suffered. I'm not telling you to diminish your pain. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't seek some counseling. I'm not telling you that I don't feel sorry for you, but it's irrelevant because if you were willing to climb over that thing, nothing can hold you back from the favor that your father has for you. But look at your neighbor and say, you've got to climb. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe your wall is made from family curses. Doesn't matter. You got to climb. Maybe your maybe you went through a divorce that you did not want to go through. It doesn't matter. You got to climb. Maybe your wall has been forged from years and years of abuse and neglect. Does not matter. You've got to climb. You can't turn around the first time it doesn't work. You can't turn around and go back and quit after the one relapse. Yeah, you made mistakes. Yes, you ought to repent. Yes, you need to run back to God. But don't you ever think that a wall was put in your way so that you can't climb over it. You are a fruitful vine. And whatever it is on the other side of that wall, the devil's afraid you're going to snatch. Somebody in this room's getting encouraged under the sound of my voice this morning. And you're going to be a climber. When you leave here, my God in heaven, put your hands together and give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah! Are you tough enough to climb? Are you tough enough to climb for that marriage? Are you tough enough to climb for them backslidden children? Are you tough enough to climb for your ministry? Are you tough enough to climb for your mental health? Are you tough enough to climb so that you come out of addiction and you come out of that sexual perversion? Are you tough enough? Do you have what it takes to shake off the past of your past and move into a beautiful future? I can't do it for you. Would to God that I could do it for you, but you have to be willing to shake it off yourself. Are you made of the right stuff? Or do you find that wall too intimidating? That's no hill for a climber. Are you made of the right stuff? Are you willing to climb? Quit letting the victim mentality of your family curses and the way that you was raised and the things that you was taught and all the hell that you have been through talk you out of being willing to climb. If there's any climbers in this church, stand to your feet. Are you willing to climb? Are you tough enough? Are, are, you, are you ready to make a change? Or do you want to just stay behind the wall because it's easier to make excuses? Because I promise you it's easier to make excuses than it is to make changes. I've talked to people through some hellish problems that they've endured. Pastor, I guess I look at men like this because I was I was molested when I was a child. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not telling you that's not a very real problem. But you have to at some point stop letting it make choices for you. You have to. And you have to say that may not be 
what I was taught. But it's what I know. I wasn't taught Jesus in my house growing up. But now that I know Jesus, I can't forget Jesus. And I have to allow His Word to help me make my decisions. Not what the Mitchums taught me. And I still battle to have the mind of Christ. Most of things are good and pure and lovely and good report. Think on these things. I still, I still battle that. But some of y'all have carried the dust of your parents' house into your house. Some of you have carried the dust from your old job to your new job. Some of you have carried the dust from your last relationship into this relationship. It's time to shake it off. It's time to turn around. It's time to climb over that wall. There's people already coming to this altar, bringing marriages up here, bringing families up here, bringing family curses up here. And listen, everything that you went through wasn't sinful. Some of you are sitting there going, well, I was raised by a good father. He didn't didn't beat me. He didn't neglect me. He didn't abuse me. Nobody made you a control freak. He was such a boss and a dictator. And now you think that that's the way you're supposed to raise your kids and talk to your wife. It wasn't sinful, but it's stupid. It's wrong and it's not causing you any uh, any great loss because you didn't marry your mama. And the woman you married to don't want to hear you talk to her that way. It's a family curse. Once you find your way up to this altar this morning and Jesus is going to revolutionize somebody's life. You've got too much going for you. You've got too much favor in front of you to be held back because of where you've been. Shake it off. Shake it off. we got people come up here making new discoveries in their walk with Jesus right now. They're going to shake some stuff off this morning. My God in heaven. My God in heaven. You were singing over me. You so so good to me before I took a breath you breathe your life in me you have been so so
no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, and oh, it chases me.
won't light up mountain you won't climb up going up there's no wall you won't kick down fire you won't tear down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no Sweet forgiveness in your prayer. 